The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. You know, I know for some of us it's just, just going to church, but I just love that we consciously come together uh, to not only anchor ourselves, but to you know, know a greater truth about ourselves, about one another, about our, our world. Uh, and it's, it's something cool because hopefully we get something out of being here, but I just know that it benefits everyone around us too. So I'm so grateful to be a part of this spiritual community and so glad you're here and so glad I'm here this morning too. Uh, Richard Feynman was probably one of the greatest uh, minds of the last century. He was a, a famous physicist. He worked on the atomic bomb won a Nobel Prize, and he shares a, a story, or he shared a story often about um, a, a way his father taught him that got him into becoming a, a scientist. His father used to take him on nature walks through the mountains, and one day he wasn't with his dad, he was with a, another boy, and they're walking along, and the boy says, hey, do you know what kind of bird that is over there? And Richard said, I don't have any idea what kind of bird that is. It's a brown-throated thrush. Your father doesn't teach you anything. But his father had taught him something. Walking through the mountains one day, he said, Son, you see that bird over there? It's a Spencer's warbler. Feynman recalled that his, his father didn't actually know the name of the bird. But in Italian, it's a chudo lapidita. And an Portuguese, it's a bomb da paeda. In Chinese, it's a chung long to. And in Japanese, it's a katano takeda. And he went on to share with his son, you can know the name of that bird in all the languages of the world. But when you're finished, you'll know absolutely nothing whatever about the bird. You'll only know about humans in different places and what they call the bird. So let's look at the bird and see what it's doing. That's what counts. And it's an inspiring story to me, a good reminder that I always have a choice to live in my constructed reality of things, to approach life from a place of know-it-allness, or to approach life with that humility, that willingness to learn, to not know. And for me, this story isn't just powerful when we apply it to how we experience the natural world, but also to our own personal lives, how we approach our own self-image, how we approach the people that we love and care about, how we approach this this world. Because I can tell you, we, we were not created to be beings of constructed reality. We were created to be beings of infinite possibility. And we can't reach that possibility if we're so sure about everything before us. You know, I find that that's happened in my relationship as relationships through my life. And, you know, as many of you know me, we're about to welcome a new baby into our family. Little Nancy June is about four or five weeks away. And I'm definitely prepared to approach that from a way of not knowing and learning uh, as I go. But an area where it's been harder is with our, our teenage son. Our son just started high school. You know, and, it, and it's so difficult not to want to force him to be the child that he was. You know, uh, to have that consciousness to hold the space for him to be the young man that he's becoming. You know, because you know I know him so well. <laughs> I know the cartoons he likes to watch. I know what kind of cereal he likes to eat. 
I know what he loves to do. I know he loves to spend time with his parents. You know, <laughs> think again. It's a new, it's a new day. But isn't that beautiful? Aren't the most precious people in our lives those that hold us to the present and not the past? Isn't that the greatest gift we can sometimes give another is to hold someone to, to who they can be in the presence? You know, always remember their essence, but to allow them to express in a, in a new way, to approach them, not with interrogation questioning, but with the, the type of question that, that's awe and reverence versus certainty. I don't know about you, but give me a good question over a good answer any day. I love to live in, in questions. You know, not that conclusions can't be good, but answers to me say stop. Questions say go. Answers say stay still. Questions say keep moving, keep going, keep moving forward. That's one of the reasons why I love our religious science philosophy so much is we, we have a phrase, open at the top. Open at the top. Which means that we thrive on questions. Yes, we can come to conclusions about the nature of the divine and the way life is, but being that life is inherently infinite, we want to be in that state of questioning all the time. It's a lot better than those religious religions that say, here's the answers, don't question them, don't question anything, and live your whole life with a smug sense of certainty, right? You know, I like that. It's a great time to sign up for, for Beyond Limits and pester Dr. Roger with your questions, you know. But we're, we're a questioning faith. Martin Fisher, a physician, once said, a, a conclusion is that place where you got tired of thinking. <laughs> you know, are there, are there some areas in your life where you've gotten tired of thinking? Areas where you feel limited within how you see yourself? Mediocrity that you sense in a relationship you're in? A sense of, ugh, about your everyday life? Perhaps it's not life, but it's you that you need to be looking at. Perhaps there's a greater way to ask a new question, to be in a state of curiosity, to have the willingness to have life transform around you. That's the beauty of these questions. And I know it's the standard spiritual thinking to think that we um, ask God for answers and God gives us the answers or that the universe has on the answers. But for me, the universe speaks more in questions. I say, universe, who am I? And the universe says, good question, who are you? What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? You tell me. Is true love real? I don't know, is true love real? See, it's another thing I love about our religious science teaching is in that age-old debate, is life all predestiny? Was everything meant to be? between that argument and is everything about free will and volition and choice, we land somewhere in the middle. We believe in what we call co-creation with spirit, co-creation with the divine. We work in tandem with God in the creation of our own lives, our own purpose, our own way of being. The answers are planted like seeds within us, but it's only through curiosity, through practice, and through questioning that we can bring those about in our lives. It's up to us. The universe is always asking you questions and you are always answering, know it or not. And what you are answering is always becoming. The universe is always asking, you are always answering, and how you answer is always becoming. Does that sound true? 
So the, the universe is always presenting us with questions, and today I want to talk about what I'm calling three questions for a better life. Three questions that the universe is asking us all of the time, and it's up to us to be aware of what's coming forward. And, and the first question that the universe is asking us moment by moment is, who are you? You remember the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland? Who are you? Who are you? Ramana Maharshi, the great Hindu teacher, used to have satsangs, and people would ask him questions. They'd say, what is the meaning of life? Or what happens when I die? And Maharshi would always turn around the question. He'd say, well, who's asking the question? See if it's that constructed self, that self that we think we are, that we know isn't quite the whole truth of who we are. It's a different answer than when we're asking from that place of of Atman, that place of divine connection, that place of the capital S self, where we're all one. So whatever the question someone would ask Maharshi, to always send them back to self-inquiry, to who we are. And when we have that sense of who we are, we have the only answer that we'll ever need. Maharshi would share, just as a man would dive in order to get something that had fallen into the water, so one should dive into oneself with a keen mind and find the place, hence, the I originates. When we know who we are and we be who we are, it's easier to live in relationship with this thing called life. Now, I know this question, who are you, can be a slippery one. And I think it's challenging because sometimes we ask it of ourselves in isolation. That's when we wind up chasing our own tail. That's when we wind up doing what Alan Watts said when he said, I know the me that knows that I know that I'm me, but what I'd like to know is the me that knows that I know that I know that I'm me. (laughs) Whenever we find themselves in that trap. For me, who you are is never a question of isolation. It's always a question of relationship. Who are you in relationship with what is before you? And if you really want to know who you are, ask yourself, who am I in relationship with that which I care about most? With whom I care about most? Who am I in relationship with this thing called life? The big things. And when you can be that, you're answering the universe in a way that that feels good to it that resonates in your heart and soul and helps you be it even more. When I know I'm answering the question incorrectly, who am I? It's when I'm living down to things that aren't me. When who I am is being a jerk in relationship with someone who's being a jerk to me. When who I am is holding myself back because someone else is holding themselves back. When I'm caught in a self-image of judgment about myself because of uh, a comment someone said or something like that. It's then when I'm not being who I am, when I'm living down to the frivolous. Robert Anton Wilson, a philosopher, said, you are exactly as big as that which you love and precisely as small as that which you allow to annoy you. How many times a day are we making that choice? to live in accordance and be who we are in relationship with what we love, what we value, what we care about, or living down to the everyday nonsense that in the end doesn't mean anything. However, it keeps us from becoming that much more who we are. For the universe is always asking, and you are always answering, and how you answer is always becoming. The second 
question that the universe is always asking us is, what do you want? Very important question. What do you want? Anybody, what do you want? Chocolate chip ice cream, <laughs> oneness, life. What do you want? And it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because we live in such a materialistic society and yet so many people struggle to really know what they want, much less to ask for what they want, much less to really receive what they want. But the universe is always wanting to know because it wants to co-create with us that life of our vision, that life that's in our heart to become. But we struggle sometimes. And how many of you have been in a relationship where you've had uh, the following happen perhaps several times? So, uh, sweetheart, uh, what would you like for dinner tonight? Oh, I don't know. Whatever you want's fine. Well, how about Mexican food? Mexican food sounds good. Nah. <laughs> oh, Mexican food. Well, what do you want? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you choose is fine. Even if you want Mexican, I'll find something on the menu that I can order. Well, there's a, a new Thai place that opened up down the street. How's that? Oh, I guess that'll be fine. An hour later, you're looking up from your green curry, and there's a look of disappointment on your partner's face. <laughs> What's the matter? I think I really wanted Italian. <laughs> you know? It's a, it's a silly example, but can it be an, an everyday one? You know, when, when you don't know what you want, you're kind of living in accordance with what someone else wants. You know, just like when you're not living your own life, um, someone else is living it for you. Just like when you're not thinking for yourself, someone else is thinking for you. Life wants us to know who we are and to know what we want and, and to be it. It doesn't mean you always get what you want. That's why in our teaching we say this or something better. You know, I want Brad Pitt and an unlimited shopping spree. You know, that or something better. You know, you never know what's going what's gonna to come up for you. But we, we have to learn that it's, there's nothing selfish about knowing what you want. There's nothing greedy about asking for what you want. You're not taking away from anyone else's good when you embrace and receive what you want. That's what we were made to do, to have that clarity. And yes, we have to compromise. And yes, it never always works out the exact way that we wanted it to. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't know what we want. And you can't get what you want until you know what it is. And you may have what you want and have no idea that you have it because you haven't taken the time to articulate what it is that you want, to receive it. Amanda Owens wrote a book called The Power of Receiving, and she, she talks about seeing a, a woman on the news after Hurricane Retri- uh, Katrina um, really struggling. She was upset, but not for the reason you would think. Her despair was due to having to receive help. A proud woman who had worked two jobs for most of her adult life, she had never taken handouts from anybody, and her shame was apparent by her inability to look at the interviewer, by her downcast eyes. Her story is not unusual, although most of us are not run out of town by a flood. More familiar scenarios are an empty nest, a loved one's death, a lost job, the onset of a health crisis or aging that brings a loss of independence and mobility. Whatever it may be, you have the right to know what you want, to ask for it, and to receive as much of it as possible. I like how Dr. Roger calls it, he says, no private good. That when we embrace and know our own good, it doesn't just benefit us, but, but everybody. 
And that's part of the richness of being. But sometimes we've stepped away from that. I had a great mentor and father figure in my life uh, named Alan. And Alan looked at me when I was a teenager one day and I was struggling. And he said, Josh, you know what? No one does what they don't want to do. No one does what they don't want to do. Everyone does what they want to do. And I I think I said something like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) And then he, he explained it to me. He said, you know, that homework that you don't want to do, well, you want to get great, good grades, don't you? So you do want to do it. That job that you don't like going to, that you think is crummy, you want to make money, don't you? So you want to do it. And it always helped me, and I'm sure there's exceptions, but there, there's something about living life, even if there's things I don't like doing, that I have a special ownership of when I claim that I want to do it because I'm building a greater vision for my life, because I'm wanting to demonstrate something better and meaningful as opposed to living on someone else's schedules, being a possession of somebody else's. I can own my life that way when even when I'm not doing what I like to do, I'm still bringing it into relationship with what I want to be. Because the universe is always asking and we are always answering and how we answer is always becoming. I do love what Steve Jobs said. He said, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. When it's no for too many days in a row, we've given our life to something or someone else. And it's time to reclaim it by knowing who we are and knowing what we want. The third question that I think the universe is always asking us which has been the most profound in, in my life, um, I articulate it as, as how can you best love? How can you best love? To sit in the morning and ask myself, how can I best love my wife today? How can I best love my son? How can I best love my church? How can I best love my country? How can I best love whatever is before me? And some great ideas happen. You know, I frame the question this way because your know, love for me is always a, a center in my life. I know I'm on course, even if I'm having a challenging day or a challenging time, if I'm living from a place of love. If I'm practicing love, I'm in center with myself. And I, I think that's the way the universe is asking us. It's always appealing to our highest self. It's always inviting a greater expression of your depth. And this question, how can I best love right now, has been so helpful in my life. It's wonderful, just like I said, when you're in meditation, um, but it can also be challenging. You know, it's, it's something else to be uh, in an argument with my wife and to be really mad at one another and to pause, take a deep breath and say, how can I best love my wife right now? Or t- to have my, my son royal, royally screw up in some way and be really angry and stop and say, how can I best love my, my son right now? It's hard to look at the news and see something you don't like going on and to stop and take a deep breath and say, how can I best love my my world right now? It's not a warm and fuzzy thing uh, to give give love. Sometimes it, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to transcend that argument. It takes a lot of courage to stop the fight and, and show up and be intimate, be transparent, be vulnerable. It takes a lot of courage to show up with love if you have a fear of rejection. It takes a lot of courage to stand and know the truth when you're in a situation where it seems like everybody in the world is blind to it except you. So it takes courage to ask yourself that question, how can I best love in this moment? But for me, 
But for me, every time I answer that question and do what I do, it works. Every time. But it takes courage. There's a a story I've always loved about a single father who gets laid off from work and he picks up his six-year-old daughter from school and he brings her home and, and he's so upset that he, he just sits directly on the, the bed and, and puts his hands over his face and just starts weeping. You know, how am I going to pay the rent? What am I going to do? How am I going to support my, my child? And he's so caught up in himself that he doesn't realize he's left the door open and his little girl can see him sobbing. You know, what a frightening experience to see your, your parent lose control or be in that state of sadness or loss. And he's weeping still, and a few minutes later, he looks up, and there's his little girl. And what is she doing? She's holding up a little glass of tap water that she got from the sink. And in that moment, the man's tears of of fear uh, turn into tears of love and of meaning. Does the glass of tap water solve anything? No, yet in that moment, it means everything. Because when we remember that our life is about love, about showing up for each other, even when we don't know what to do, when someone we love has lost someone they care about and we don't know how to help, when we see a situation or a struggle out there in the world and we don't know what the solution is, but we still show up. You know, that that little girl, I wish I had the same bravery she had to look at anything that she could and to find a little glass and to turn on the sink and to fill it up with that lukewarm tap water to offer something, to offer love through whatever symbol it might mean. And for those of us who've had challenges in our lives, we know there's nothing anyone ever did for us, but it's how they showed up for us that really counted, that really mattered. So it's a great question to ask, how can I best love, even when it's scary? Because I I can tell you, I'm so uh, sick of asking myself, how can I best fear right now? You know, how can I best fear right now. Well, I can be controlling. I can be manipulative. You know, I can be argumentative and defensive and trying to be right about everything. You know, the answer to that question has never worked for me. But there's always a grander question that the universe is always asking us. It's always saying, how can you be your highest, most true self right now? How can you be your values? How can you be your virtues? Embody those and be just that. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, he said, simply yet profoundly, if the gift of life is already made, then our part must be to accept, receive, believe in, and use it. Once more, if the gift of life is already made, then our part must be to accept, receive, believe it, and use it. My friends, each of us has been given the greatest gift that could ever be given the gift of this thing called life. We can choose to be in our own constructed realities and past ideas about it, knowing that they're limited. We can be a creature of constructed reality, or we can embrace being a creature of unlimited possibility, connected with this infinite spirit that endlessly gives itself completely to each and every one of us, and we can use it in our lives. We don't have to make up what to do with it. We just have to listen for the call of the universe around us. Who are you and who do you want to be? What do you want and are you willing to receive it? 
Is love the heart of you, the heart of who you are, and are you willing to embody it, become it, and practice it in your life no matter what the experience may be? If we can know the answers to those questions and become them in our lives, we will truly receive the gift of this life and use it in a way that doesn't just bless ourselves, but everyone around us. That's how precious the gift is, and that's how blessed we are when we open and receive it. So with that, I just invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. If you'd like... And just becoming conscious of the the sacred heart of life. That sacred heart of life that cannot be located because its center is in all places, in all people, in all faces, in all expressions. The divine life is giving itself abundantly, infinitely, never withholding an ounce of itself because it knows as it gives, it gives that much more abundantly. The endless wellspring of God. Knowing that this divine truth is not only right where I am, but where each of us in this room is, I know that my own work is to be receptive to that life. That I have a choice. I can reject this life. I can say no to it. I can struggle with it. I can say it's for everybody else, but not me because I'm not worthy enough to receive it. Or I can choose to allow it to embrace me, to allow it to fill my life with its splendor, to have the courage to say, yes, I am related to something infinite. Yes, God knows who I am and why I'm here. Yes, My life has significance and meaning. And as I receive that divine life, I know it fills my being, my relationships, and blesses everyone around me. We've each been given this gift of life and can choose how to use it. So being aware of the gifts that are there, may we, like a child on Christmas Day, open up with anticipation to receive that much more and also embrace the blessing of getting to give and share this gift. May we bring to mind any person who may be struggling in their life, any area in the world where we know there is suffering, challenges, or tragedy, and just simply know the presence of that life. That love is what it's all about, and that meaning is available for each of us who is willing to declare and embrace a higher version of ourselves. So grateful for divine good, so grateful for divine love, so grateful for divine flow. I speak my word knowing that there is a harmony that unites each of us, that reverberates through all that we do and all that we are. Say thank you, Father, Mother, God. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.